Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Ryan Archidak, and I shout out to the Bulls HQ podcast. All the way from Australia, we represent, and thanks for all the support. fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. The first episode of the show post the trade deadline and importantly, our first real chance to have a chat about these new look Bulls after what was a super busy trade deadline. Uh, We got our first look at Nikola Vucevic on Saturday against the Spurs. Unfortunately for for us all, outside of like a 10 minute stretch in the fourth quarter or so, It was largely a forgettable game with the Bulls finding themselves down 30 points at one stage. That game obviously did not go to plan. Neither did the following two games against the Warriors and Suns. So here we are, three games into the Vucevic era, all three being losses. That and now Zach Levine is injured and will probably be out a game or two with a sore ankle. So comparing that to last week, we're probably all probably a little bit deflated to, you know, how we were feeling this time last week. So you know, it's, it's not ideal, but it's not all bad news either. And I want to discuss all we've seen thus far and more. And joining me today to do all that is a very special guest. He is the co-host of the No Dunks podcast and importantly, is the lead purveyor on all things related to the Bulls being back. He is Trey Kirby and he joins me now. Trey, how are you, mate? Um, hmm. Interesting. <laughs> interesting question. I am good. I'm excited to talk Bulls. I appreciate the intro, the purveyor of all things, the Bulls being back. (laughs) But I was a lot more excited to talk about the Bulls being back when you asked me to come on the podcast versus when we are actually recording it because the Bulls were super back after they made the trade. Since then, Mark, not that back. Unfortunately, it has (laughs) not been an ideal start to the Vucevic era in Chicago. Definitely has not. And I guess that was one one of the first questions I want to ask wanted to ask you. I mean, like the Bulls being back is very binary. It's either that they're back or they're not they're not back. And is there something in the middle that we can sort of add to that? Because they're definitely not back from a win standpoint, but like from the Bulls being back from like actually doing something positive and getting fans um excited for a change, like that's kind of being back. So is is there a middle ground that we can draw? <laughs> Yes, yes. I think uh, in a general sense, 
the Bulls are back. The Bulls are back this season. They are a competitive team. They put an all-star into the game for the first time in a few seasons. They then acquired a second all-star, giving them two since for the first time since Pau Gasol and Jimmy Butler were re- wearing the red and black. So from that standpoint, they're definitely back. I also do love the Bulls actually making a move at the deadline to get better, to be a team that is trying at least to take the next step in this rebuild, getting to the postseason. I mean, the Raptors haven't been very good since the trade deadline as well, so perhaps the Bulls are still able to make it into the play-in tournament. But when you lose five straight games, when you lose seven out of eight, and when your team just doesn't look the same after the All-Star break as it did before the All-Star break, it's hard to be back uh, in a micro sense. Um, so, but that's the good thing is uh, you can't come back until you go away. And and unfortunately for me, uh, I thought things were going to go poorly once they were getting ready to play this game against the Warriors. I mean, I'm I tell my kids at, at night, I'm like, all right, good night. I love you. The Bulls are back. So this has been a a meme amongst us in our house as well. Getting ready for tip off against the Warriors. I said to my wife, I'm like. I don't know, Laura. The Bulls lose this one. I don't think they can be back anymore. And then they went out. (laughs) They lost it. And not in a very exciting way. Then Zach Levine, like you're saying, went down with an ankle injury, missed the game against the Suns uh, on Wednesday night. And yeah, when you're starting five guys who are 6'7 or taller against a team that is led by their guards, bad things can happen. The bad thing that happened was Devin Booker going for 45 um, looking like an all-star guard playing against a bunch of guards who probably shouldn't even be the guards. Uh, I don't know. It just has not been a great uh, second half of the season for the Bulls. And that was kind of to be expected when you were looking at the schedule. They were going to have this massive road trip. They're playing a lot of teams that are in the playoffs or trying to get into the playoffs. Um, and honestly, heading into the trade deadline, they had that really bad loss to the Cavs. The next day was the trade yeah. deadline. They made the mm-hmm. move for Vooch. And I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that it was going to give them a shot in the arm, kind of reinvigorate them, get them back on the same page, get them looking like the team that even if they aren't able to knock off the best teams in the league, can at least play them close and can at least come down to a Zach Levine pull up three, make or miss kind of shot. But Levine hasn't been the same player since the All-Star break. He's obviously out right now. And the team just does not look as cohesive as they did when they were playing the best. It looks like the Bulls at the beginning of the season when it was looking like they were going to be a pretty poor team. But I don't know. We just need another January 5th. You know, that was the step back. Zach Levine against Portland, the huge comeback. The Bulls, uh, I think they were the first team in the league to have a 20-point comeback this season. That's what the Bulls needed. I thought that was going to be the trade deadline because as soon as the Bulls won that game on Jan 5, things picked up for Chicago. They got a little bit more respect nationally. Unfortunately, the trade has not been uh, the catalyst incident that I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and I, I keep going back and forth as to as to why that is. Like, obviously, clearly, like just turning over half your roster in, in in the space of one day and expecting the guys to come together, pretty much the you know two days later and somehow work it out. Like that was probably never going to happen, particularly against a, a very professional team like the Spurs. And given the schedule as well, like the next ten games are pretty brutal. Like the the back five are, are against easier teams, I'd say, but they're all on the road. But this schedule was always going to be tough for the Bulls, even with the trade that sort of happened. So like of in one mind, I think that, but then in, at the same time, 
you know, I started thinking about what this Vooch and uh, Zach Levine combination could be. But to, to your point, like Zach hasn't just looked right and he's clearly hobbled with that ankle. So even in the rare minutes that we did get with them, like it wasn't a good test case because Zach was hurt. So I don't know, like I, I just don't know how to feel about it at, at this point. And I guess I'm just trying to to pause any uh, negative judgments that I have about it just uh, just, due to, just due to the fact that we simply haven't seen the peak Levine Vucevic pitch, uh, pick and roll at least that I would have hoped to have seen. But I mean, theoretically at least, like what do you see or what do you think this combination can mean for the Bulls between obviously Vucevic and Levine, but maybe even expanding that more largely, like what what do you think this pairing of two All-Stars who haven't necessarily got it done uh, by themselves, them coming together now in Chicago, what do you think that potentially can lead for these two guys? My dream is that Levine and Vooch become an almost inverse Denver Nuggets, Denver Nuggets light sort of pairing between the two of them. Um, Obviously, Vucevic is not the playmaker that Jokic is. Jokic is the hub for all things Denver, but Jokic has a star guard alongside him in Jamal Murray, who kind of plays the number two for that team. I think that that's what the the Bulls could be, something similar to that, where Zach Levine obviously is going to be the lead guy. He's a little bit of a supercharged Jamal Murray, where Jokic is uh, a supercharged Vucevic, Uh, you know. If you're a Bulls fan, you can talk yourself into Vooch because, you know, Jokic was putting up these massive box scores and being a plus-minus kind of wizard before he became uh, an MVP candidate as well. Um, You know, the first game against the Spurs, it looked like they were trying to figure out how to play with a low-post guy for the first time all season. And to make, and obviously that is the case for the Bulls and trying to work in the wrinkles that Vooch is comfortable with, trying to get him the ball where he likes to score. Just seemed like the Bulls were being a little bit too polite almost in that first game with San Antonio, doing everything they could to get Vooch the ball and try and just make him feel at home. That's understandable in the first game. I thought the second game, the chemistry with Vooch and Levine looked a little bit better. We saw some more cross screens. We saw some better positioning for Vooch. We saw a little bit of the two-man game between the two of them. And then unfortunately, we didn't get to see the third game. So it did feel like uh, the Bulls had figured out something a little bit uh, against the Warriors. Obviously, they only scored 102 points. So it wasn't a lights out offensive night, but it looked like they had finally had a chance to practice together. And you know, you hear that on the broadcast quite a few times that they don't have a lot of time to practice. And that's definitely true. Basically, every team is playing a game, then they've got a day off, then they got another game. The Bulls are on the road right now. So they're traveling a ton. Unfortunately, uh, the games still count, even if you're not able to practice, you know, Uh, so it would have been great if the Bulls would have had two weeks to figure things out with Vooch and Levine. That is not the case. They got a jam-packed schedule, mostly against good teams, and now they've got to figure it out on the fly, on the court, and they've got to do it without Levine right now. So it's going to be another adjustment once he finally comes back, once he works his way to good health. I don't know. It's uh, they're. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to wing it at least for this season. I think the improvement will probably come in the off season when they have a chance to build a system together alongside Billy Donovan and figure out the ways that they can both be the most effective. But for this season, feels like it's gonna be a little bit of a freestyle kind of game for the Bulls trying to figure out how best to get production from both of their all stars, both high usage guys who are figuring out how to play alongside another high usage guy who plays a game that they're not really used to. You know, there's never been a guard as good as Zach Levine that Vucevic has played with. There's never been a big guy as good as Vuce that Zach Levine has played with. They both got to figure out 
how to make things easy for each other. And it's just going to take a while. And they've already had a couple of setbacks here. So not ideal. Yeah, def- def- definitely true. I mean, and and you, you raise a good point in the sense like Levine has never really played with a player like Vuce. And obviously Vuce has never played with a player like Levine. But the more I've been thinking about Vucevic and, you know, his place in Bulls history, obviously he's just started with Chicago. But like, when have the Bulls ever had a big man like Vucevic kind of thing? Like they had Pau Gasol for a couple seasons there, which was sort of similar, but like that was 35, 36 year old Pau Gasol. Before that, though, like a, a big that could give you like 24 and 11 with four assists, something like that. Like, was the last guy like Artis Gilmore or something? Like that. So, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's right. having a big dominant center, offensively at least, is not something Chicago traditionally have. So, it, it does make sense that Levine is kind of doesn't know what to do with someone like Vucevic. And even someone like that young probably doesn't know what to do with someone like Vuce because. Uh, like where Vucevic is now being almost exclusively used as the you know the screen setter in pick and rolls, like that was that job like mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. So that just that thing has changed as well. So it's definitely a learning on the court process, as you sort of mentioned. But I guess like AK made it very clear, like when he made this trade, like this was like kind of like a win now move. They want to push towards the playoffs. They're obviously trying to make the team as good as possible uh, as soon as possible, which is why I think a lot of Bulls fans really love this trade because it was just like. The anti-Garpax move, I suppose. Like, they never make in-season trades to improve the team, at least. So, that was refreshing. But I guess at the same time, like, clearly they made this move to win now. But given that, you know, there's only 30-odd 30 30 odd games left in the season, let's say even less. And like we've sort of talked about, this team just doesn't have enough time to really gel. Like, I'm really glad those pick protections are on those picks right now because <laughs> yep. I'm feeling a bit nervous. But um, in terms of the fact that the Bulls have the, the seventh hardest schedule remaining over the, the the next say 25 30 games i mean is this is it really realistic to assume the bulls can push towards the playoffs this season like it might maybe even difficult to hang into like a playing game i know the east is pretty hot garbage at the moment but the bulls are just hanging on to that 10th spot with like washington maybe getting their shit together so like can they even make the playing tournament the way they're going at this point i haven't given up all hope yet i still got the bulls at least at the 10th seed I'll be honest, the day of the trade deadline, I was dreaming of that fourth seed. That seems a little unrealistic, but you mentioned it. 11 through 15 in the Eastern Conference. They don't seem to be catching anybody. Maybe the Wizards. You know, Westbrook has been playing better for the best uh, for the last month and a half, but some of that has come with Bradley Beal being sidelined. If those two are able to take the court and actually play well together, figure out how to play well together, because it just seems to take a little bit to adjust to playing alongside Westbrook. If those two uh, just keep playing well in the second half of the season, maybe they make a run. I still, you know, I mean, the Raptors, I think, could still get it together. They seem just as disconnected as the Bulls do right now. So that has been the silver lining so far for Chicago, is that the rest of the East hasn't done anything to catch them. Like, even the Pacers keep losing games ahead of them. The Bulls could maybe get up to number nine and not too long, but... There's just going to be an adjustment, and there's no time to really make adjustments. I think even Billy Donovan's going to have a bit of work to do figuring out how best to utilize Vucevic, because in his NBA career, at least, the teams that he he has coached have mostly been perimeter-based teams, you know, around Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, uh, Chris Paul was there with OKC, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They haven't really had an interior presence as well that needs touches inside, so... I think it'll be a little bit of figuring out to do, and it's obviously going to be a work in progress for this whole season, 
I, I don't know. I still think we're seeing postseason Bulls basketball. I was thinking it was going to 100% be a playoff game this year. A play-in game is, it seems to be the reasonable expectations, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the best case scenario. And yeah, they are lucky at the moment that the East is really, really bad, which gives them the uh, the ability to stay in this thing. But I-, I guess the best case scenario might be like getting in the play in, losing, remaining in the lottery and like getting into ba- or getting your pick back if it's sort of you get some lottery luck like the Lakers did a, a couple of years ago in that Zion mm-hmm. draft. Maybe you can get back in that top four like that. That would be nice. But um, maybe that's just wishful thinking. But I-, I guess coming back to the trade or just before the trade, like for me, I was... And I'm interested to hear from you on this as well. Like, I was kind of nervous and didn't necessarily know what to think about someone like Arturis Karnaschovas because before the trade deadline, he hadn't done much. And there was a lot of blind faith happening amongst Bulls fans, um, which I get. I, I kind of I understood. Um, but I was getting a little bit nervous that the uh, that the messaging from the beat guys was that this team wasn't necessarily going to do much at the trade deadline. Now, obviously, we know that wasn't the case. They did a lot. But prior to the deals happening for to Vooch and to a lesser extent, uh, Daniel Tice and Troy Brown Jr., I was kind of getting a little bit nervous with like, how do I feel about this Arturis Karnaschovas guy, given that he hasn't really done much. I need to, I'm, a, I'm the type of person that needs to see before I believe kind of thing. So um, yeah, I'm just interested to hear from you, like prior to the trade deadline, prior to Vooch sort of landing in Chicago, how are you feeling about Karnaschovas and you know where he was sort of taking this team um, from an from an executive standpoint, and were you kind of similar like me to you know wondering what he was going to do, maybe questioning him a little bit, or did you just believe this dude just you know based on uh, his resume at least that you know he was going to get the right deal done at some point? I think a little of both. Uh, there was definitely a grace period with AK. You know, everybody's yeah, excited yeah. that the Bulls made a move, made a change in the front office, and despite the fact that he hadn't done a lot, I think he had at least hit on the things that he had pulled off so far. Drafting Patrick Williams, nice. I love it. I think he's going to be a longtime player in the NBA with some great upside. Garrett Temple, solid vet. And Billy Donovan obviously has been an upgrade as a coach. So, I mean, three moves, I think three successful moves, but not three huge moves. And a lot of the buzz uh, early in the season when Levine was balling out was, you know, we got to get Zach Levine out of here. The Bulls should trade him and start rebuilding. And that, to me, would be a Garpax move. That would be, you know, to restart the rebuild when you <laughs> finally first have an all-star. That is a little bit of small market Garpax yeah. thinking, I thought. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. great to see. So heading into the trade deadline, just like you, it was like, you haven't done much. I've liked what I've seen so far. Things have worked out. The team is more competitive. They are no longer a laughing stock amongst the league. I was happy about that, but I needed to see the next thing. I needed to see exactly what AK thought of this team. And at the very least, the moves made suggest that this is a team that the Bulls think can win something, can at least get back to the playoffs, can take the next step in the rebuild of no longer being a young team who is just uh getting players and accumulating assets and hoping that things pan out kind of trying to take the next step to say we are a serious franchise again we're trying to get back to the playoffs we're trying to be amongst the best teams in the league so i loved seeing that move i mean yeah it's going to be a little bit before we can completely judge this trade i was hyped on day one 
But I still feel that sense of joy and accomplishment a little bit from the trade deadline, just that the Bulls did something to try and be good, to try and take the next step, I think was huge. And I think it's... um It's got to, even though the results haven't been there yet, it's got to be at least encouraging if you're a Bulls fan. And I would hope if you're on the Bulls team to think at least, uh, at least with Zach Levine going down, we still have an option here. We still have another all-star out there on the court. And so, yeah, um, doing something was better than doing nothing and doing nothing would have been better than, uh, you know, restarting the rebuild. So I'm still up on this move. Uh, I just hope it pans out. More so than the day it happened, I was sure it was going to pan out. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's all fair. Yeah, I guess that's part of like how I'm dealing with it. Like, I'm picking and choosing small parts of this deal to focus in on to or to lock in on to try to get me through this tough period. Let's say, like, and you sort of touched hey, on it. Two there, great that, Daniel Tice blocks already. That's nice. I know. That, that's very nice. It's very nice. But like, I guess like you touched on it there. The fact that the Bulls made a win now move acted like a big market team for a change and rather than a small market team like trading future draft picks for a legit all-star a move that Garpax will never ever think to make like that is a that's a big market move that's a win now move like that's something I'd been whinging about for years and to see a Bulls executive do that was kind of shocking to be honest with you so um, like that is what I keep coming back to to try to talk talk myself through this um, but yeah, I'm, I have a tendency to be a, be a bit of a whinger as people on Twitter probably see when I'm constantly bagging out uh, Billy Donovan and, about his rotations. But when I get in that mindset, that maybe that downer mindset, let's say, I, uh, I, I keep coming back to this idea about these draft picks. I mentioned before that I'm glad that they're protected top four. That is very ideal. But do you, do you think the perception of this future trade changes if, say, like that pick sort of lands in the top, well, not, not top four, obviously, but if it lands at, say, five or six this season in this loaded draft? Do you think the uh, perceptions of this trade will start to change? Because it was a risky move. It is it is a win now move. It's a big market move, but there are inherent risks with it. But if those picks convey and you know they're high picks, let's say, at least higher than what I thought they would be, do you, do you think the the perception of this trade will start to change at least in the short term? Well, I mean, uh, Steph Curry was a number seven draft pick. If the Magic get the next Steph Curry with the pick that used to be the Bulls, oh yeah, the perception on this is going to change. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, I think that if you have followed the Bulls for a long time, you're reading the tea leaves and you're seeing what's happening and it's impossible to not think about the Jimmy Butler trade, right? He was in the midst or he had just finished his career best season, had another year left on the deal. Very similar to the situation that Levine is in right now. His first all-star season, he's having the best season of his career. He's got another year left on his deal next year. Uh, had the, had things gone the other way, had Levine been balling out and then they move him at the deadline, I would, I would be more upset about that than this Vucevic trade going the wrong way over the course of history, because it would have just been history repeating itself again to, uh, to take another step back willingly, I, I think would have been a super bummer. This one, I mean, maybe it ends up being a lateral move for the Bulls and they're still just uh, a playoff fringe team with these two all-stars and whatever youthful pieces can develop uh, in Chicago. But uh, at least it's not a willing step backwards. And that to me was was a huge thing to to just act like a team that is trying to win, that is trying to be attracted to free agents. I don't think it's a coincidence that you heard AK say that the day after the trade. You know, I think some of this move is made to get back in the good graces amongst the league, to to look like a team that 
is going to be getting meetings with free agents that can be an attractive place for somebody to want to come and play and be the third star or who knows, be the number one star with another a couple of two assisting stars who help out. So uh, I still like the optics of it. I still like the move. And I'm still happy they just did something, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm glad you can uh, talk me back into it. And I guess picking myself up here. And um, I-, I thought I'd raise this with you, given that um, you love your 20 point, 20 rebound games. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you remember, but back in February when the Bulls played the Magic, when Vooch was still an Orlando Magic player at that point, he had 43 points and 19 rebounds against the Bulls <laughs> that game. And clearly not a 20-point and 20-rebound game, but that's pretty much as close as you can get to a, a big beef game, let's say. So are you excited that the Bulls actually have like a big man on the roster who now is a le- like a legitimate big beef candidate? I love it. There's going to be a Bulls big beef at some point <laughs> this season. Uh, Jokic, or uh, sorry, Vucevic isn't totally a banger though, you know? I mean... He's not uh he's not DeMontis Sabonis out there throwing shoulders every single time he touches the ball. But yeah, I like having um a big guy on the Bulls. It's gonna be definitely different to see because, like you're saying, probably the most notable big guy the Bulls have had, at least since we've been alive, is Pau Gasol, and he was near the end of his career at that point. Yeah, I, I think even Vooch could outrun Pau Gasol at this point. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. I mean, yeah, Pau is probably the, the closest facsimile to to Vooch, but yeah, like when we had him, at least he was 35, 36 year old mm-hmm. power, who was still very good, but clearly not in a prime version of himself. But um, look, I'm excited to have someone like Vooch around. He's just like like we talked about before, he's a player that we haven't necessarily had before. I, I can't remember a Bulls team that had an offensive big as good as this for yeah my entire life. So it is interesting. But um, do you know who the last Bull to have a 20 point, 20 rebound game was? I can't imagine Rodman ever had 20 points the same night having 20 rebounds. Uh, Pippen? I don't know. It, it was a little bit more recent. I've, I've done the, I've, pl- I've plugged it into basketball uh, reference. I've got my okay. stat head subscription. Boozer, maybe? <laughs> Boozer? Boozer? It was, was Pau Gasol was actually the last one. Wow. He had a 22 point, 20 rebound game. Um, which was back in 2014. Before him, Joakim Noah did it twice. He actually okay. had a 20 point, 20 rebound, 10 block game, like 23, 21, and 11 points. But before Noah, it was like like a 10-year gap who randomly, like Luol Deng apparently had a 20-20 game, 24 points, 20 rebounds in an absolute barn burner against the Milwaukee Bucks, an 83-81 scoreline. So, um, yeah, that that was interesting. (laughs) Wow, that's actually pretty impressive to have a 20-point, 20-rebound game when the score is that low crazy stuff yeah exactly so uh, I, I was a bit surprised by those stats but i thought i'd look it up just due to the fact that the bulls really haven't had a big capable of doing that so um yeah well, just they needed speaks- it man i mean like Vucevic yeah. is not going to be a lockdown big and no. obviously everybody knows that he's not going to raise your defensive ceiling at all but the bulls have gotten smashed by the best big guys in the league i don't think that's going to change with vooch as the starting center but at least he can negate it a little bit with his offense as well to to at least get some sort of production out of the center spot. I think is going to be huge. You know, if Embiid is going for 40 and 20, I don't think that Vooch is going to hold him to 20 and 10, but maybe Vooch could get 20 and 10 on his own, which is better than, you know, a 10 and 7 from the center spot that was currently there. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, that's the upside. Hopefully, hopefully uh, he can um, produce more than what he gives up. And I'm, I'm pretty confident he can. But um, obviously, we spent the good first half of this podcast talking about Vucevic. I want to get your take on the rest of the Bulls. But before I do that, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsors. 
It's Mark again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&A with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an in-your-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for their initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, back to the show now. We've talked a lot about Nikola Vucevic. Of course we would. He's the, the main attraction at this point from a bull standpoint, particularly with Zach Levine being out. But uh, Trey, I wanted to get your take on the rest of the bulls, maybe some of those that are maybe on the periphery. And I say that now because someone like Larry Markkinen certainly wasn't on the periphery maybe like a year ago. Uh, a lot of people considered him a foundational piece to this team, but... I don't know where you stand on Larry Markkinen right now, but I was at the deadline. I was actually pretty bummed that they didn't trade him and turn him into a guard. Like that would have just. We were talking before about like how much how how it was tough for this team to come into like this midseason trade and try to make things all work. But if you could, the Bulls are kind of top heavy at this point. They have like almost too many good front court players. So if you could have turned Larry into a guard, then maybe this whole transition period now would be a lot more seamless. So I don't know about you, but I was pretty bummed that Larry Markin couldn't be turned into, say, like Lonzo Ball, for example. But uh, how are you feeling about Larry now? What do you think his future is in Chicago? Just what are your high-level thoughts on, on Larry Markin? My hope is that the Markkinen sign-in trades are not gone, that they can still perhaps pull off this Lonzo sign-in trade in the summer because they they do need somebody who just sets the table for everybody else, whose job is to keep the ball moving, to play defense, and to find shots, to find opportunities for both of the All-Stars and the rest of the players on the court as well. I definitely think they need that. I would have rather traded Markkinen than Wendell Carter, but if I'm the Magic... I would rather have Wendell Carter than Lowry Markin. It's a real catch yeah. 22 there, you know? So <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's very funny. I think as a Bulls fan to be, you know, tapped in during the trade deadline and you're hearing people be like, Hey, Lowry Markin, man, he's having an all right season, 17 points per game, almost 40% on threes. That just tells me you haven't seen a lot of the Bulls actually playing because yeah, the guy can <laughs> shoot the ball, but really what else are you getting from Markin? And he's almost a seven foot shooting guard, which is why I think it was a bit of an indictment when the idea to sub him out and bring in Luke Cornett was the deal. Um, because if you're basically saying Luke Cornett can replace Lowry Markinen, that ain't good. Uh, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, Markinen has a skill set that is going to be valuable for years to come in this league because he's seven feet tall and he can shoot the three. But when he's a lottery pick for you, when he is a starter or at least a high rotation player, you need to get more than just the next Channing Fry. Yeah, for, for sure. And like the game yesterday against the Suns was like 
the perfect microcosm of Larry Markkinen's career. Like when he's aggressive, when he's like actively hunting out his offense and doing different stuff and trying to score from all levels, like he looks really good like he did in that first quarter when he had 10 points, five rebounds. But then the remainder of the game, he had what, like five points and five rebounds or six points and five rebounds, something like that. So he's very... He goes missing a lot. He's very easy to game plan out of games. And the first game that we saw in that Vucevic era, like they started Lowry next to Vuce, which was an odd decision. Again, I don't want to lecture my listeners about Billy Donovan's rotations because they're sick of me hearing or listening to, to that sort of stuff. But like, yeah, like he's very easy to game plan against, particularly in this modern NBA where, you know, there's basically six foot six guys playing the power forward position who are faster, quicker, and probably just as strong as Lowry. So I'm a little bit concerned about where his role in the league goes going forward. Like he needs to really transition to center if he can at all. But um, I don't know if he's long for Chicago. And like you, I'm kind of hoping that they can still manufacture those sign and trade situations because they kind of need to, because just from my cap numbers point of view, I'm, I'm not a cap guy, but from doing the numbers that I've seen, like they can get to about 20 million in space this off season, which mm. includes waving or renouncing Thad Young which would be pretty tough like you, you can only get to 20 million at that point but like that's not a lot of cap space I don't know if you can get Lonzo Ball for 20 million dollars so can you really use Lowry's sign and trade type thing to, to to engineer a deal like that whilst keeping Thad like that would be ideal but you know fingers crossed but um moving away from Lowry and maybe a guy who the fan base feels a lot differently to is uh, someone like Patrick Williams who Look, let's be honest, he got torched yesterday by uh, Devin Booker, <laughs> which I'm not going to hold against him because to me, at least, Patrick Williams is probably more of a power forward than a shooting guard, which he mm-hmm. was playing last night. But um, I'm not going to hold it against him. But he did have that just sick, insane block slash steal, whatever the hell you want to call it, absolutely killed DeAndre Ayton. Um, that was the sickest play I've seen all season from a Bulls player. But uh, yeah, what do you what do you think about Patrick Williams? Do you buy into these Kawhi Leonard um, comps that yeah, some people go to? Uh, I'm I'm not someone that allows my mind to to go there. But you know when he does those crazy defensive plays like we saw on DeAndre DeAndre Ayton the other night, like uh, I allow myself to dream just for a a, a quick second there. But uh, what do you feel about Patrick Williams? I'm with you. I think the Kawhi Leonard comparisons are probably a little early. People didn't think (laughs) Kawhi Leonard was going to be Kawhi Leonard when he was a rookie. But I'll tell you what, I buy it a lot more when it's coming from LeBron James than I do when it's coming from Stacey King and Adam Amin. No offense to those guys. They got to be blowing up the bulls. But when LeBron says, oh, yeah, he's got a bright future. He's got Kawhi type hands. I love hearing that. Uh, But as we saw last night, uh, he's probably more so... Uh, uh, somewhere between a Kawhi Leonard and a Draymond Green, because I don't think that Patrick Williams is going to be a lockdown perimeter defender like you do. It was so easy for Booker uh, to torch him. I think they ended up with 45, and not a surprise. I also do like Billy Donovan saying, all right, this is not an ideal matchup for us, but you got to take the toughest guy to guard. At least he went out there and he tried it. Um, I, I did like the aggression from Patrick Williams. I think the I think the quote from Donovan was that he told him to stop taking quite as many pull-up long twos, a shot that Williams has had a little bit of success with so far this season, but which is just, you know, an inefficient shot in general if you're not hitting him all the time. Took most of his shots in the lane last night, did take one long two. He knocked it down. So I like seeing that growth, and I love... um. The camaraderie he offers, you know, he was wearing number nine. He was happy to give it to Vooch and Vooch is like, hold on, man. At least let me pay it, pay you for it. So now we got uh, Patrick Williams wearing number 44. I think he's going to be good. I think he is going to be 
If the Bulls don't bring in a third guy, I think he is the odds-on favorite to be the third guy for the Bulls. Maybe he even becomes the number one or two guy sometime in the future. But if they were able to bring in additional players, additional free agents or somebody via a trade, I think Patrick Williams is the kind of guy who is going to be able to fit alongside a lot of different kinds of players because he's going to be able to knock down shots at a decent rate from the outside. He's going to be able to guard quite a few different positions, maybe not the one or the two, but at least the three, four, perhaps the five. Uh, for being one of the youngest guys in the league, I think he's been pretty good. And, you know, sometimes he takes a little bit of a backseat, but that's kind of to be expected when you're the youngest guy on the team playing as a rookie, getting all these big minutes. You just want to fit in and do the right thing. I'm really looking forward to seeing him unleashed at some point in his career. Yeah, for sure. And and look, he, he's got that off-court connection with Vooch with the whole number thing happening. But, you know, it, we're starting to see that on the court as well. Like those two, particularly in that Warriors game, like they really started connecting well. I mean, I think Vooch, you know, had two or three assists on Patrick Williams' baskets. And Patrick Williams had actually four assists against the, the Warriors. And three of those four assists were to Vooch. So mm-hmm. they're forming a good combination on the court as well, which is, uh, which is really nice to see. But... The more I think about this Vooch-Levine pairing, the fact that we, we probably don't have a lot of time for that pairing to work just due to the fact that Vooch is like 30, like we got to go now type thing. But is it crazy to think that the success of like the Vooch and Levine pairing almost falls down to someone like Patrick Williams and how quickly or rapidly he can sort of evolve into that to that next piece, into that third piece, or potentially even that second piece, like as Vucevic starts to age, maybe Patrick Williams can sort of overlap him some. But is that too much to ask too soon for someone like Patrick Williams? Or do you think he has that ability to be that real third option, uh, maybe as soon as next season, hopefully? But um, what, what are your thoughts on this whole dynamic and how Patrick Williams sort of may unlock where this Vucevic and Levine pairing may go? If you want to stick with the Nuggets analogy, he would be... They're Michael Porter Jr. slash their Aaron Gordon, a player that really unlocks the full potential of the two stars. Because, you know, when you look the Nuggets this season, they uh, Jokic has been an MVP level player for the entirety of the season. Gonna At one point was leading the league in assists. The guy's unstoppable. Murray was slow out of the gate. You know, he didn't really uh, find his bubble form until... The until the the Nuggets started going a little bit smaller and Michael Porter Jr. started playing the four and he's thrived there as well. As those two's games have picked up in the second half of the season, the Nuggets have really taken off. So it's obvious that you need somebody else who is going to be the third, the third guy. And I think Patrick Williams can be that guy actually getting a full normal training camp. Uh, getting a bigger piece of responsibility in the offense. uh, You know, the, it was a, an odd season, an odd off season during 2020. So the idea of uh, the Bulls actually getting to work out together in the summer, figure out everything that is going to be ideal for them heading into the 21-22 season. Yeah, I can see um, a massive uptick in uh, Patrick Williams' production. He's shooting 38% from three, but he's only taken 2.2 attempts every single game. I mean, just tell him, shoot four more times, you know, tell him to be a little bit greedy. At, at times, I think he's a little too unselfish as a player, which uh, is not a complaint. That's a bad one to have. At least he's fitting in out there, but he's certainly capable of more and the Bulls will be better the more responsibility he takes on. So this summer is going to be big for his development and for the Bulls figuring out how best to integrate him in their new offense, whatever that may be. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just like the signs of what I've seen over the last three games, at least. Like, he, he has looked a touch more aggressive. I think the first game out of the, the the deadline, or maybe it was the second game, whatever it was, he had 14 points, six rebounds, four assists, or whatever it was. Like, that 
if he can be that consistently next season, like a 14-6 and maybe three or four assist guy next season and just move the way he does off the ball and just get his scores that way and whilst developing his ISO game, his playmaking game, like that would be huge. At least that's what I'm hopeful for. Uh, I don't want to go to the Kawhi extremes, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that is attainable for Patrick Williams, hopefully next season. So uh, fingers crossed, but he does look the goods, which is... um positive I guess but um one player like I, I love the Denver analogy like to me that makes complete sense obviously Vooch isn't Jokic obviously the Bulls don't have an MVP level player but the, the comparison makes sense when you think about Jokic to Vooch to Zach Levine to Jamal Murray and even Patrick Williams to like you said Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter Jr or even Jeremy Grant like he's a combo of all of those guys but I don't know if someone like Kobe White necessarily fits that Denver model or the type of player that maybe AK uh, will typically go after, let's say. And I, and I felt like that way previously, but now even more so uh, now that the Bulls have acquired Vucevic. You've got Vucevic and Levine who aren't bad defenders, but aren't obviously great defenders. You want to surround them with defensive players like Patrick Williams, like Thad Young, for example. And we've kind of seen what AK sort of feels and thinks about these guard packs draft picks. I mean, Wendell Carter's gone, Daniel Gafford, Chandler Hutchinson, they're gone, Larry Markman's on the bench, Kobe White is now on the bench too. So I don't know, what do you think about Kobe White, his long-term future in Chicago, if it is long-term at all? Does he really fit with this roster now that the Bulls are sort of gone all in with uh, Levine and Vucevic as their two all-stars? Can you put like a non-defensive guard next to someone like Levine, given that the, the Bulls' main issue is defense and point of attack defense. That's what they keep talking about. Can, can you really play someone like Kobe next to Levine and Vucevic? Uh, that sounds like a tough proposition to actually be able to play those three together in a guards league. Let's face it. This is a league yeah. where you're going to have to put up some sort of resistance to somebody going around a screen and trying to get to the hole. That has not been a strength for Kobe White this season. A disappointing season, no doubt, for Kobe. It feels like anytime he tries to split a double team on the pick and roll, guaranteed turnover. That would be my <laughs> number one thing for Kobe yeah. White in the summer is tighten up that handle because I think he's going to have a long career. He's still a young player. We've seen numerous times, mostly last season, where he would get super hot, make a whole bunch of threes and a half. He's obviously a microwave kind of scorer. But again, for the Bulls, that's not what you're expecting from a lottery pick from a guy who was supposed to be a starting guard in the NBA. Definitely was coming into this season, but the offense has certainly looked better with Sadoransky running things. He gets people more involved and he's been just a more effective player. The good thing, I don't know if it's a good thing, but the thing for Kobe White is that he's still got a few years left on his deal. Still has got some more shots in Chicago. And I mean, there's always going to be value uh, for a player who can get as hot as Kobe White can. He's not having a great season, but he's still able to score 15 a game. You would like to see him shooting better than 40% from the field, 35% from three. But even if he's not able to lift those up, that's fine. That's fine if you're a sixth man. That's fine if you're a seventh man and you take care of the ball. Uh, but I mean, I don't think he's a building block anymore. And that was a question after last season, after, after he had had a nice end to his rookie year, we're thinking... All right, let's see how him and Levine mix coming into year two. It has not been good. He has not seized the starting job. And at that point, with a new administration in the front office, there's not a lot of reason to be tied to him if there are moves to be made around Kobe White, which is uh, too bad. I was excited when he was uh, drafted by the Bulls, and he certainly seems to fit the bill of a player that would succeed in today's NBA. Just uh, he's not quite at the level he needs to be to yet. 
Yeah, definitely agree with that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Kobe. Like, I, I would be totally fine with them trading him for a future first-round pick, getting rid of his, like, $5 million sure. that he's owed next season. And if you want to play that cap space, uh, cap space game, rather, like, you could do that and open up $5 million extra by doing something like that. That would be ideal. But uh, obviously, we'll see what happens with, with Kobe White and the rest of the Bulls. Last Bulls-related question that I have for you. I mean... Obviously, people know you from No Dunks. You guys cover the entire league. You're responsible for covering the entire league. I feel like over the last three or four years, you probably haven't really talked much balls unless it's been something terrible that's happened just due to the fact that the bad bald man was the coach for so long. Um, but like, I mean, for you now, given that, you know, you're on a national podcast that covers the entire league, you have to look everywhere. Haven't necessarily talked much about the Bulls just because they have been so bad for so long. Like, are you excited that this team finally has some pieces finally sort of going somewhere where like on your own show you have more of an opportunity now to talk about at least the positives about Chicago now is that a good thing I'm assuming it is oh a hundred percent that is a great thing for me um and that to me is where the idea of the Bulls being back is is really (laughs) that's where it's based at is that if we talked about the Bulls for basically the last four seasons it was only bad news um basically starting with Bobby Portis breaking Nikola Mirotic's face with the punch. That was kind of the start of the bull, at least uh, for our podcast and for our show, of the bulls being only really referenced when bad things are happening. And then bad things kind of just kept piling on for the bulls. And that's almost been the story for the majority of the time that I've worked with these guys. I signed on to work uh, with TBJ back in uh, 2010, summer of 2010. Uh, We moved up to Toronto summer 2011 which i'm sure you remember what happened with the chicago bulls in the playoffs in the 2012 (laughs) playoffs and that was the you know the 2011 eastern conference finals that was the high point for the Mm -hmm. chicago bulls um in in my tenure in my decade tenure working with skeets and tass and jd since then since we moved to toronto rose blew out his knee there were times when it seemed like the bulls were still going to be able to make a run and still be a competitive team. Obviously, that never panned out for a while. They were just kind of an eh team. We didn't really talk about them at all. And then for the past three or four years, it's been a disaster after a disaster, a disaster. I've got kids now. My oldest is six. You know, she'll be seven in October. That's the exact same age I was when the Bulls won their first championship. So I was certainly grateful uh, that when my kids are at the age that I know that they're going to have memories, that their memories aren't going to be of a punch clock or somebody punching somebody else <laughs> out in the face or the team, you know, getting laughed off the court by opposing announcers, by opposing coaches. I was happy to see a competitive team, a team that is just a team in the NBA, not a laughing stock. I thought that was huge. And that's why I'm still, even if, uh, even if this season ends poorly and obviously we're in the worst stretch of things right now it's got to get better at some point this is still a successful season to me just to to put a team out there that you know the opponent has to worry about that you're actually getting a real game out of every single night that's huge that to me is the bulls being back they're a real franchise in the nba and that shouldn't be something that's a question when you're in one of the biggest markets out there yeah for sure and yeah i'm glad to hear that and i'm hoping that obviously things progress and you guys are able to for your your sake at least like <laughs> able to talk to the, about the bulls in a, in a more positive light so uh yeah I'm, I'm definitely hopeful that the bulls are back for a number of reasons like for me as a bulls podcaster it's kind of hard <laughs> to just continuously talk about how bad things are and i started this stupid little show like literally 
Uh, well, it was during the three alphas era, so ever since that point, it's just been <laughs> bad. So um, yeah. I, I haven't really experienced or podcast a good season, to be honest with you. So that would be ideal. Um, I've also got a kid coming next month, my first. Hey. So if the balls are back when he's around, like that would be nice too. So um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful too. But uh, I'll obviously how th- see how things play out. Um, look, I've kept you long enough. Uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, I just did want to throw in some questions around. Or have a conversation, or I guess about Formula One. I guess this is All the right. part where most Bulls fans are probably tuning out. But um, I'm conscious that um, the fellow Australian on No Dunks that you often get um, exposed to exposes you to things like cricket and bad sports like that. But um, I wanted to be the Australian here that could talk to you about F1 because I know you've recently got into <laughs> it. I don't get an opportunity very often really at all to talk F1 with um, fellow basketball fans there's a sure. few people on Twitter that I do engage with uh, shout out to Felipe and Pedro and, and Bruno um, the South Americans and Europeans are, are big on the F1 but I, I thought I'd get your thoughts on the F1 season that we've got coming off the Bahrain GP that just happened uh, the whole Verstappen Red Bull versus Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes sort of vibe that we've got going on like how are you feeling as an F1 fan right now going into going into this new fresh season It's only season three for me as an F1 fan. I hopped on after Netflix put out Drive to Survive season one, loved it. Then it came out, I think, basically right before the next F1 season started. So obviously I was hyped off the show, dipped into the racing, and I love the racing. Um, So like I'm saying, I'm, I'm a casual. I'm new to the game. But for me, the Bahrain GP was the best season opening GP ever. I mean, it's only been three years, but that was an incredible race. Came down yeah. to the last 10 laps. Basically, Hamilton and Verstappen head-to-head. There was some controversy, obviously, with the track limits, something that I don't completely understand. Uh, but it did seem to me, on that pass on number four, we had heard on the cams earlier that Hamilton had gotten warned about track limits. And the announcer said, even when Hamilton's making this move around corner four, he says, oh, forcing Verstappen to go wide. I was like, oh, Interesting. So Verstappen goes wide. He exceeds the track limits. He has to give up uh, the overtake back to Hamilton. And, you know, people are saying, okay, so how come he has to give up the spot after Hamilton's been doing this time and time again? He got warned, I don't know, a bunch of times during this race. Um, But to me, I was thinking, did he just completely bait Verstappen into taking the long way around and completely bait Verstappen into botching the end of this race? Because as soon as he passed uh, as soon as Verstappen passed Hamilton, then Hamilton got the right away to go in the front. That was basically the end of the race right there. You know, he put yeah. enough gap between the two of them that Verstappen wasn't able to really make a chance at an overtake again. I just thought that was brilliant stuff from Hamilton. You don't see him make mistakes very often. He had one in that last uh, in that last stretch with Verstappen, where his, uh, his back locked up. He went a little wide. That's how yeah. Verstappen got his DRS made it close. But I don't know. It feels like we're going to have an actual competition for at least the number one spot on the podium a lot of these weeks. I know uh, I know Mercedes and I think it must be Aston Martin now. They were both complaining about the new regulations for the aero, for their high rake versus low rake cars. I don't know what it means, but it seems to me like the FIA, FIA slowed down Mercedes, slowed down Aston Martin, which, you know, I would be mad if I were them too, but it makes for exciting races. If we're going to get Max and Lewis Hamilton going head to head, uh, the final 20 minutes of every single race, it's going to be an awesome season. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm pretty excited based on that, based on this one race at least. And like that was probably a more Mercedes dominated track, let's say, more so than a Red Bull track. So if Red Bull were 
like that far in front in round one, let's say, or race one on a track that's probably not Red Bull dominant. Like that's going to be very interesting. And I, I wonder if the reverse happens where Red Bull just sort of run away with this thing. That that would be mm. interesting to see. But um, yeah, I, I te- definitely agree with you. I think Ham- Hamilton definitely did that. He, he goaded Max into that move and Max is uh, prone to being a bit of a hothead, let's say, and just going for things <laughs> maybe when when, they, when he shouldn't. And I wonder if he costed himself a, a race win there, but um, it was very interesting. But um, look, I'm very hopeful as well that my boy Danny Rick can get something done in that new, uh, that new look McLaren as well with the Mercedes engine. So I'm hopeful that he can um, have a pretty good season. But um, well, obviously, we'll see how it shakes out. But um, yeah, look, I don't want to keep you too much longer, mate. But I, oh, it we is can very- go forever, man. I'm a big <laughs> Oscar Piastri fan now. Yes, he started yes. driving in F2. Uh, yep. So obviously, I just heard about him. I'm only watching F2 via YouTube highlights. Uh, I can't go that deep to get 100% into F2, but <laughs> I love seeing him be an overtaker as well. Isn't that the... Isn't that kind of like the catchphrase about Danny Rick is that he's the best overtaker in Formula One driving? So I don't know if that's that's an Australian thing. I love it. Best of the late breakers. What a great dude. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he's... he's, um, It's funny, yeah. Oscar Piastri, he's managed by... uh, by Mark Webber, obviously the previous or former Australian F1 driver before Danny Rick. So mm-hmm. there's um, some synergies there. But um, yeah, I'm hopeful that uh, Oscar can do some things in, in F2. That would be nice. And he can uh, make the jump into F1 next season. Get rid of someone like Mazepin, even though he's dad's a billionaire. Get, get, get him out of there. But um, yeah, look, like you said, we could we could bang on about F1 for, for a long time. But uh, I'm conscious of time. Uh, I want to get you out of here. But uh, yeah, I'm very... Very thankful that you're able to come join us here on Bulls HQ and give us all your thoughts on Bulls and and F1 as well. But um, before I let you get away, maybe tell the listeners where they can follow you online, where they can catch no dunks, all the stuff you guys are working on. Um, Yeah, feel free to let people know what you guys are doing. Yeah, you can follow me at Trey Kirby, T-R-E-Y-K-E-R-B-Y. Follow us at No Dunks Inc, I-N-C. We podcast for The Athletic. Uh, we do a couple of shows Monday through Friday, and then we add some special shows in there as well. And who knows? I mean, uh, if the buzz after this little spiel on F1 is good enough, Mark, maybe you, me and you are going to have to start uh, something talking about <laughs> the best of the late breakers, a strictly Australian <laughs> F1 podcast. Very There's niche. A market there. <laughs> Very niche market, but um, yeah. maybe, maybe, definitely. I'm up for it. Yeah, sounds good. I appreciate you having me on. I'm honestly feeling better about the Bulls now than I was an hour ago. I'm fired up. Yeah, yeah. Look, me too, mate. I was kind of in a bit of a downer mood after last last night when the Sun the Bulls lost to the Suns, but um, you picked me up, so I appreciate that. So thanks again to Trey for coming on and talking Bulls. And uh, on that note, Bulls fans, we're pretty much done here. Before we go, though, some sh- shameless plugs from my side. If you're enjoying the show and you want to talk or you want to follow me on my Bulls takes in between podcasts, whilst you're out there following No Dunks and Trey. Feel free to follow me on Twitter too at MK Hoops. Follow the podcast on Twitter too at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord, shoot me a DM on on Twitter and I will drop you an invite uh, an invite link to that spe- uh, specific Bulls HQ Discord. Um, I've also launched just this week actually a Bulls HQ Substack page. Uh, I don't blog much anymore, but in the odd chance that I do, you can find all my stuff on there. My latest piece that I've sort of just put together uh, was about Billy's Billy Donovan's rotations which is why i didn't want to talk about it today because i just keep banging on about it but um if you want to have a read of that go to bullshq.substack.com um but that just about does it i won't bang on about myself anymore because i'll be here all day 
today. But uh, again, thanks for Trey for for dropping by today. This is a really fun podcast for me. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this show. Every, appreciate everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week talking all things Bulls and hopefully talking about some W's. Speak then, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.